Welcome to Turf Dudes, show number 37. We first spoke with Dr. Billy Crow in episode 23. Well, since then, nematodes, they're still a problem. Dr. Crow, nematologist at the University of Florida, is a leading researcher, extension agent, and educator in the field of nematology. Over his career, Dr. Crow has improved nematode management recommendations for turf managers across the United States. He's worked closely with product manufacturers to develop novel and effective control products. And Dr. Crow has led research to develop improved extraction techniques, which enhance the detection and ability to quantify nematode populations in soil. In this episode, we discuss the best options for lance nematode management specifically, why nematode assay numbers may be misleading, and how turf stress, disease, and nematode infestations are often related. I learned something from every conversation I have with Dr. Crow, and I know you will from our conversation with him today. Before we get started, I want to add a shameless plug for Harold's free online CEU courses available to all Harold's customers through your My Harold's account. As winter sets in and frost delays become more frequent across the country, you might find yourself with a little bit more time on your hands. Take a few minutes to log on to your My Harold's account via the Harold's.com page, click on the Education tab on the toolbar to the left side of the screen, then use the Navigation Tools on the Education page to select which CEU courses are approved for your area. If you don't have a My Harold's account and you are a Harold's customer, contact your local Harold's territory manager to get one set up. My name is Dr. Jeff Atkinson, and I'm joined as always by Dr. Raymond Snyder and Dr. Paul Giordano. Raymond, Paul, and I serve as directors of agronomy for Harold's. We hope our conversation with Dr. Crow will enhance your understanding of these pesky nematodes and leave you with a couple of ideas to improve your nematode management program. Enjoy the show. Appreciate you joining us. Appreciate you taking a little bit of time to, to speak with us again this year, Dr. Crow. And we had a lot of topics that we want to talk with you about today, but I guess to just to get the ball rolling and to start out, you know, since it has been since April of 2020 that we've talked to you, I know the industry hasn't changed as a whole, but, you know, based on your last year's worth of observations or years and a half worth of observations, what do you see as kind of the biggest issues in the turf industry today as it relates to nematodes? I guess a couple things. One is, uh, you know, we still we've got a, you know, a couple you know good nematicides you know, out there, but uh, there's um, still uh, I, th- I think we need a need for more so we can rotate and and uh, I do worry about potential for resistance uh, occurring uh, because we're putting out the same nematicides over and over and over and over again. I think that's a real uh, uh, real concern of mine. Uh, I think also, uh, again, have, with our limited options, they don't, you know, there's certain nematodes that uh, none of these options work real, real, real well on. And so those are two, uh, two major concerns that I have. Have there been any documentations of resistance and maybe ag crops? Uh, I haven't seen much about it in turf crops yet, but is that a concern in other crops? So, uh, I'll give you an example because uh, you know, abamectin, which is the active ingredient in you know, divinelm and, and a couple other uh, turf grass nematicides, abamectin has been around since the 1970s. Okay, and uh, you, you guys have heard about this animal wormer ivermectin that's been in the news a lot. You know, regarding you know, is it work on COVID and things? And is it a horse wormer? Well, it's actually a, a parasite treatment for nematodes. Okay. And avermectin and ivermectin are, are almost the exact same thing. They come from the same source. And uh, a lot of these you know, animal parasitic nematodes have become resistant to ivermectin. 
And so uh, it makes sense that the same with the same type of population with pressure that over time that could occur with these plant parasites as well. You know, it's interesting. I guess talk about that. <laughs> I'm going to jump in here. But if you look at um, because turf's different from ag, okay. And so uh, you've seen in you know the uh, federal papers on the mattis on potential for resistance and things. And they say there's low low chance of nematicide resistance in nematodes because typically, you know, in ag, you're only treating seeds or doing band treatments, not treating the whole area. Okay, so you got this mixture of nematodes from treated and treated years. Well, in turf, we're treating the whole area. Okay, so that, that throws that assumption out. And the other thing, they say that generally nematodes are only applied once per year. And as we know with these turf grass nematicides, we're applying them multiple times per year and often at rates that high highly exceed those uh, you know in ag so uh, the basic assumptions that nematodes are of low resistance uh, or low chance of building up resistance are thrown out the window when we get to uh, turf gas systems and how we're using these nematicides in turf your point dr crow i mean you've got to assume and i think the work you're doing is 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 making some of these assumptions and exploring them is that we're, we're putting a tremendous amount of selection pressure on those populations with largely single site chemistries. So mm -hmm. by all accounts, this would stack up to a, a resistance development in that population. So for our sake as an industry, it's not the case, but I guess to be determined. So uh, I'm, I'm actually working right now on a uh, 70 years of turf grass nematology at University of Florida. Going back to uh, 1952, uh, Dr. Perry, who was a nematologist of Florida, uh, who was there in, in Sanford, he did the world's first turf grass nematicide trial in 1952 at Bayfair Country Club. Uh, and he uh, discovered that sting nematodes were capable of causing damage to turf and, uh, and that you know, nematicides could be used to correct that. So from that point on now, in, in, in next year, it'll be 50 years or 70 years from that point. So I'm kind of doing a summary of all this. But uh, it's interesting, I was, as I'm digging through all these old uh, you know, papers and reports and things, and uh, I'm going in the late 1960s, early 1970s, the golf courses in Florida were all using this product, Dazenit, for controlling sting nematode. And it was very effective, and so they're pretty much every putting green in Florida was being having Dazenit applied on it. And uh, Dr. Perry was, in this paper I was reading, was, was talking about how the golf course superintendent started reporting to him, hey, this isn't working like it used to. And um, so he started digging into this, you know, is there something going on here? And what he concluded was that Dazenit was still working fine for sting nematodes, but lance nematodes were not controlled by Dazenit. And that lance nematodes were then becoming the major problem. So the people weren't seeing the effect because they're having all, the, now all these lance nematodes working their grass over. So replying on that single chemistry, you put all the selection pressure to cause a different nematode problem to develop. And that's uh, something that I am seeing today with our current uh, nematicides because none of them are very effective on lance nematodes. And so as we're controlling you know, sting nematodes and root knot nematodes pretty well in, in a lot of cases. We are not uh, controlling lance nematodes, and so they're now becoming an increasing problem. So history has a way of repeating itself a little bit. Could you talk a little bit about the, the work that you noted at Citra regarding your, your study with lance and which, which laboratory technique is best utilized to 
determine the threshold and the detrimental lance population? Sure. So uh, if uh, if you uh, read the October issue of Golf Course Management, we just uh, uh, published that in there. And uh, we had a two-year study we did at uh, – Funded by the GCSAA with matching from the Florida Golf Course Superintendents in the in the chapter matching program, and uh, we had two sites, one in North Florida, one in South Florida. We had 120 plots at each location, and uh, 60 of the plots we put no nematicide on. In 60 of the plots, we put uh, two applications of indemnify and four applications of divinim per year. Okay, for the two years. Now, these sites were infested with lance nematodes, and we weren't trying to control the nematodes with the divinim and the, the indemnify, because in my previous research, it indicated those treatments were not going to be effective on lance nematode, but we were kind of controlling the other nematodes and leaving lance nematode by itself. And so, uh, like I've seen in, in other trials, uh, for example, with our, our Herald's uh, you know, trial we did with you guys a couple of years ago, we saw that as we controlled the other nematodes, the lance nematodes just went up. And so we had a lot higher populations in those treated plots than the untreated plots, which, again, were what we were expecting. Uh, we saw that uh, we, we took uh, four nematode samples a year, and we evaluated root systems four times a year. And then every two weeks year-round, we, we, we evaluated turf quality and DVI and a bunch of other measurements. And then uh, we did all these uh, regression analysis. We did hundreds of different regressions, regressing all these different factors and time frames. And with our nematode extractions, we'd use two uh, extraction techniques. If you read the September issue of Golf Course Management, we published our work on root knot nematodes and our new mist chamber extraction method for extracting root knot nematodes from Bermuda grass being a much more effective uh, diagnostic procedure than extracting nematodes from soil for root knot nematodes. And so we wanted to see if that was true with lance nematodes as well, because lance nematodes feed both as ectoparasites and endoparasites. So they'll be, go out in the soil, then they'll go inside the roots, they'll tunnel around and crawl back out and tunnel around and crawl back in again and go in and out of your roots constantly. And so uh, uh, we want to see if we'll get w which was better at diagnosing, you know, uh, uh, mist extraction or, or our traditional soil extraction methods, uh, timings and all these things. So we did determine that for lance nematodes, uh, both soil and mist extractions uh, could be used uh, for diagnosing lance nematodes. However, we got better correlations from plant damage with the soil counts. So uh, that is the better extraction method, the traditional method we've done when we spin uh, nematodes out of soil. But the, you, do get, you, you can get useful information from the mist too, but soil is generally more reliable. Uh, we also found that uh, for lance nematodes, September and March were the best times to sample for those nematodes. <clears throat> That's when we got their best uh, correlations between our turf quality and uh, nematode counts. And the other thing we found was that the nematode extractions were better at predicting future damage than estimating current damage. So uh, when we're doing regressions, so we, again we have we have the you know the R square is is uh, how much of the variability is explained by your in this case by your nematode numbers, and the R squares were generally higher for turf quality two or three months in the future than it was at the month the sampling occurred, and this is something again that is is not a surprise to me as a nematologist. 
but you're, you're uh, better off sampling before you're expecting the damage to occur. And for 20 years now, I've been telling people, you know, don't wait till you get a nematode problem to sample, <laughs> you know, because then it's also, you know, you want to sample before the damage occurs, find if you might have some damage coming and then treat it before it becomes a problem or nip it in the bud as Barney Fife would say. September, March is the best time to sample for the lance based on your research. Is that um, specific to a, a specific area or let's say you go into South Carolina, North Carolina area? Uh, you know, it may that uh, may shift a little bit. Uh, I would say, um, you know, from like let's say Atlanta South, I'd say that would probably be the case. Once you get north of that, it may may change some. But I'm in Florida, so I'm not going to go all the way up to Tennessee to do a trial somewhere. So, <laughs> right, older right, I get, I the less I like to drive. <laughs> so, so, Dr. Crow, while we're on the topic of assays and, and numbers, I'm always fascinated the the difference between how nematologists determine pressure, if you will, versus coming selfishly as a pathologist, you know, it's always kind of just making a judgment call when we're doing diagnoses for different diseases. It's it's there, it's infecting the roots, and you kind of have to make a call whether it's the problem or not. Whereas nematology uses quantitative numbers. And I, I know that this causes some issues for, for golf course superintendents in a lot of ways, where they're looking at those numbers and they're making a determination of that's a problem or whether or not a nematicide was effective. So can mm-hmm. you speak to a little bit about how we might as an industry try to break maybe that habit of using those concrete numbers to make management decisions um, or as a, a, a measure of success of a nematicide application versus the overall turf or root health mm-hmm. as you kind of described a little bit earlier? Sure. So, um, you know, you know, fungi, for example, you got fungal hyphae growing. You don't know, like, so, you know, you can't count all that, right? You know, uh, with nematodes, you can count them. In that way, it's similar to like insects where you have, you know, thresholds for white flies on potatoes or whatever. When to treat when you get to this level. Uh, now, uh, and I have uh, actually my uh, PhD, part of my PhD research was, developing thresholds for sting nematodes on potatoes and cotton okay so in in an ag crop an annual crop you sample before you plant okay and then you you measure your yields and whatever whatever you're going to measure later on okay and so uh you can tie okay i got these different you know uh increasing amounts of nematodes here related to this amount of loss in an in a annual crop, that works really well. Because, but on a perennial crop, that is not <laughs> that that is, that is not as meaningful. Okay, yeah, the turf is not like you're planting turf. You're yeah, not planting your a crop, crop that we don't measure yield per se, right? So yeah, you don't yeah. measure the yield, and also it's a perennial, and so that grass is there. Okay, so uh, you're trying to figure out. It, it puts just a lot more variability in the system, okay? So these whole threshold things are a lot more vague and nebulous for a, for a perennial crop like turf than it is for uh, an annual crop like you know, tomatoes or something, okay? Uh, so those numbers then are going to mean something different depending upon the health of your plant, the, uh, uh, the soil conditions, the amount of stress the grass is under, uh, the cultivar, seasons, all these things, okay? And so, uh, basically, as 
25 sting nematodes means something different on grass that has a four-inch deep root system than on grass that has an inch deep, deep root system. Okay, 25 sting nematodes really bad on a turf with a shallow root system, but it's really not of a big major concern if you've got a healthy, robust root system. Okay, the other thing is that when your uh, stresses vary, not even from golf course to golf course, but even location to location on the golf course, and even location to location on your putting green. Okay, some places get more wear; they can tolerate fewer nematodes there. Some places get more shade; they can tolerate fewer nematodes there. If you've got some diseases here along with the nematodes, then that makes things different. Okay, so there's just a huge amount, you know, of, of other factors that contribute to all this. So you never know exactly. Okay. And so uh, at our lab, we use these broad ranges. We have a low risk category, a moderate risk category, and high risk category for each of these nematodes, which is pretty broad. Okay. There's, if, if you've got any nematodes you know, in there, you're never going to come in at no risk. Okay? And, and, and it doesn't mean that if you've got 300, your grass is going to die. You know, it just means you've got a high risk of something bad happening. That doesn't mean something bad's going to happen, okay? It's just like, you know, uh, uh, I guess, uh, you know, snowboarding, okay? If you snowboard, you have a risk of something bad happening. That doesn't mean something bad's going to happen to you. But you need to take that into account. Well, do I really want to do that? I might get hurt. Maybe I'll do something safer, like uh, you swim in the pool at the hotel instead of going snowboarding or something. Yeah, that makes a lot of, makes a lot of sense. Uh, what, is there a way, you know, you go to different labs across the country and, I like the way that your lab presents it in a sense of low, moderate, high risk, and then you can take that in context with the other things that may be going on. Is there something that is in the way of standardizing these risk thresholds across the country, or what would need to happen to make that more uh, more of an accepted range from, from lab to lab, from location to location? I think standardization is the wrong way to go uh, because conditions vary locally even in soil i mean in florida we've got you know uh, you know flatwood soils and the nematodes behave differently there than they do in the central ridge where uh, you know your headquarters are there okay in those deep sands and uh, in all these types of things and you got different types of you know maybe different cultivars that are going on you've got i believe that your recommendations are best made by your local experts that take all that into account because a guy sitting in a lab like if I get a sample, and I, I do, sometimes we'll get samples from, you know, Indiana, let's say, for example. Okay. <laughs> well, I don't know much about grass in Indiana. You know, this, is, this is what we find. and uh, But I, I, I feel a lot more comfortable to give you a recommendation if you're a golf course in Florida. I, I know what's going on a lot better than I do off in uh, someplace else. Okay. So now the procedures, you know, I mean, you can take those numbers then and I encourage people then talk to your local experts on that, you know, don't, don't listen, you know, people, if I don't, if I don't put a, re- a, a check a box on that form, then the, the superintendent's feel like they're getting gypped, sending the samples to us, you know, so I give my best effort, but I still encourage people that if you're off in a different region somewhere, go to your local person and talk to them, <laughs> take, take those numbers that we send you and go there. Not, don't just uh, listen to what Dr. Crow in Florida is telling you if you're in Pennsylvania or somewhere yeah i mean is there a pretty good level of diversity not not diversity but i guess variability in test results for example if i Mm -hmm. take a soil test in my front yard today and send it to four different soil testing labs i'm likely going to get a wide variety of results back from that lab so we always encourage to stick with the same lab year in year out whatever that lab may be yeah and and 
the other thing is uh, uh, most of these, uh, let's say the state labs, are geared toward diagnosing ag crops. And uh, they'll and so they're going to use pr- the same procedure using if they're taking checking toes from peanuts or cotton or whatever. Uh, in Florida, we're a little bit, little bit more specialized because most of the samples we get are turf grass samples, and we kind of that's what the focus is there. But uh, but there you know so, and so there are some uh, you know private labs and that, that do a good job diagnosing turf samples. Some don't, and some of the private labs again also that they they do peanuts and cotton and that's the main thing they do and they'll run a turf sample they don't really have any expertise in turf and or really any interpretation they're reading just off a sheet that this is what you know this many of these and and uh, and i try to help those people as much as i can too i mean i do uh, correspond pretty regularly with some of these state labs they have questions sometimes they'll you know email me hey dr crow what do you think about this or we got this sample this and i'm always happy to help because my job isn't to get every sample in the world coming to our lab, but it's to make sure that wherever you are, you're getting a good diagnosis. So I, I got a question about, you mentioned earlier that you have to put the number, your, your count numbers in context with your local conditions and some of your management practices, because that has implications on what you're seeing visually in terms of your specific damage. Correct. So let's say that a, turf manager has a putting green and it has a count of, you know, 50 or 100 or whatever sting, and they're attempting to perform all of the, the proper nematicidal applications. Is there anything else that that turf manager can do to minimize the negative effect of whatever count they have? Are there management practices that they can impart to give the plant a chance at a given nematode count sure um you know as uh, turf managers golf course superintendents and their staff their job is growing healthy plants and using the best agronomic practices they can with the budget they have right and so um yeah there are uh things that can help promote uh, good root systems you're proper for fertilization you know avoiding excessive nitrogen fertilization as opposed to a balanced fertility program proper mowing and uh, uh, things like uh, airification and things as a, as a part of a regular maintenance program, very beneficial helping root systems get deep. But once you got a lot of nematode damage, if you, if you try, you know, core airifying, you, you, your grass is going to rip up a lot more. So sometimes you really have to baby them through that stage, but, but the airification, those types of things that kind of help, you know, to, you know, promote good root growth, all those things biostimulants and things may help in these situations with the roots um, the numbers i'll give you a good example on uh, you know i know i'm, I'm doing a, a trial with you guys right now uh, where we've uh, where we've got a golf course that's highly infested with sting nematodes and and uh, you know we've uh, treated with curfew and we've treated with uh, some other treatments and in the Harold's root health program and things it was interesting is in this putting green which we did these stri- strips uh, of curfew across this putting green okay and so the first thing you saw is you got boom your grass in those strips i mean uh, uh i know raymond you've been out there and seen that you just boom, we got these green stripes going across this green and the grass and the untreated stripes are brown and, you know, 
And then, of course, later then they overseeded and the overseed takes and the where this curfew would, had been treated and, you know, and then it doesn't establish very well on those batch. Well, a year a year later, we still had those stripes from the curfew application that was applied the year before. Now we've applied our second year's application, the same ones. But uh, what's interesting, okay, is uh, if you look at your nematode counts, okay, we took our samples two weeks after the curfew application and our, our curfew stripes, our sting nematode counts were down to very, very, very low. Okay. And in the uh, untreated stripes, they're very high. Three months later, they were higher in the treated stripes than the untreated stripes. They remained higher in those treated stripes for the whole rest of the year. But I had a better root system. We had better root systems throughout that whole year. We have more grass. Okay. Now, what's interesting is by our last sampling, this past year in that trial, the nematode counts in those untreated stripes were below what we'd say below threshold. Okay. They were coming in at low risk of damage, but that grass was eaten up, right? It was just, there's no roots. Okay. And so if you just did a sample in the lab, it came back lower. What do you mean low risk? My grass is all dead. Well, yeah, you know, uh, you gotta, you gotta look at your nematode counts in context with your plants. Okay. And so, and this is where in the lab, we're just giving you numbers, okay? So the, the superintendent needs to look at those numbers, look at what's happening on the course. What do my roots look like? You know, okay, well, I've got hardly any you know, roots on here. Well, then those nematode counts, even though they may be low, may be enough just to keep that grass from ever growing any roots. So I still might need to treat it. Where Whereas if I've got a you know, decent root system and I've got 10 sting nematodes, well, you know, I could probably let it ride, at least for now, and maybe sample again in a few months and see where I'm at. Okay. You really have to put those, uh, and I'm amazed how few golf course superintendents actually pay regular attention to the roots on their grass. You know, if it looks good on top, they usually don't look at those roots. But uh, I'm, uh, I've been, uh, uh, you know, working with our, our USGA uh, uh, agronomist in Florida, uh, you know, Steve Kammerer, and uh, on, he's got some uh, golf courses he's working with on these root, uh, you know, evaluating root health. And part of that is our nematode counts. And it's really been interesting to see how our uh, his his root evaluations and my my nematode counts uh, mesh up. And sometimes the best greens will have the highest nematode counts. And uh, well, that's because you got you know better grass, better root systems in, in those cases. Excellent. Thank you. Yeah, fascinating stuff, Dr. Crow. I, I mean, I think playing off of that a little bit, what I've always recognized with superintendents is what what keeps them up at night is what they can't see, which is what's going on in the root system, right? And, and this can be true for diseases or nematode issues, whatever the case may be. And I think personally, an understudied area is the association between nematode damage or nematode feeding and other disease root disease issues be it ectrophic diseases like take all root rot or summer patch um and i know you've done a little bit of that work i think you've you've done some of it in association with pythium root rot um but can you maybe touch on on where we can go and looking at those associations i think inherently we know as an industry we you look at some of the programs that Syngenta or Bayer recommend, and they have built-in fungicide recommendations with their nematicides because they understand yeah. that there's something going on there that that allows for better overall uh, 
But I guess maybe in your experience and some of the work that you've done, where that association between diseases and nematodes sits today? Okay, so going back 20 years ago, uh, we did some trials where we did uh, with Nemacure back in those days. And we had uh, Nemacure by itself. We had uh, you know Heritage by itself. Then we had pop plots that had heritage and nemacure and we had untreated plots and we found that we got of course the, the the plots that got the nematocyte and the fungicide were the best now you got some imp- improvement from the nematocyte we got some improvement from the fungicide but we did both of them we got really really good healthy root systems healthy plants as things progressed, then uh, you know Syngenta kind of took that and started you know working with uh, your know, heritage with uh, you know abamectin and their your know, divinilm and if you remember uh, early on in Florida you know when they we had the Avid 24C special local needs you had to buy in, in this package with heritage at the time uh, it wasn't that in other states but uh, it was one of those weird Florida rules. So, uh, you know, we have seen that, uh, you know, that, that generally when we apply a nematicide with a good fungicide, we get better responses. It doesn't have to be just with heritage. Uh, we've seen positive responses with nematicides, with daconil and, and with, uh, uh, you know, peer 2 and different things as well. So, uh, indemnify, you know, is not only – it's both a nematicide and a fungicide. And now it's not labeled for soilborne fungi, but I can tell you it does. <laughs> we provide some control of some soilborne fungi in addition to those nematodes. Okay, so it's kind of built into that one. Uh, the uh, uh, abamectin that's in divinilm and in other you know abamectin treatments, it's also a insecticide, and it works good on 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 Bermuda grass mites and other and some other uh, insects. Okay, so. In both of these products, you're getting some control above just the uh, – but in general, though, yeah, the, the nematodes tend to predispose plants to uh, fungal infection, okay? Uh, there's different mechanisms for that. There's a physiological component where they change the chemistry in the plant to make it uh, more susceptible. They can also cause wounds that then the fungi can get into the wounds, um, what's interesting, though, is nematodes also trigger plant defenses, okay? And so what we found when we looked at pythium is uh, we, we had my graduate student, uh, Tina, who now is a, uh, running the uh, dematicide screening for FMC uh, company. But when she, her PhD was looking at nematode interactions, uh, root knot and sting nematodes interacting with pythium uh, root rot, and she had different uh, species of pythium. And uh, what she found was that uh, if you apply, if you put the nematodes, infected the turf with nematodes first, and then put the fungi in, grass was less infected by the the pythium because the nematodes triggered plant defenses, uh, depending on the species of pythium. And so that was the other thing: is is it made them less susceptible to some pythium and more susceptible than others. And uh, so, so there's no blanket. Nematodes make it worse. Sometimes they may actually, you know, it just depends on the combination. And and so, but but uh, Joe Roberts at Clemson actually uh, is uh, planning on uh, looking at uh, these uh, nematofungal uh, interactions with uh, some uh, uh, root rotting fungi. So he'll be he'll be working on that a lot coming up. And uh, 
So interesting to see what he sees, uh, you know, with looking at root knot nematodes and different nematodes and how they predispose grass to gamanomyces and things. So, yes, yeah, so it's not just me working on this. Uh, you know, Joe's also, uh, uh, and he'll probably be working on it a lot more than I will. <laughs> he, he's smarter than me, so uh, uh, I'll, I'll let him do it. He's younger, <laughs> younger and smarter. <laughs> I got it. Well, um, some of the stuff that you are doing is with us. And can you give us just a, a little bit of a synopsis of, of the work that you've done over the last, you know, couple of years for us out actually out in the field at a, at a real golf course? You did great work for us at Citra sure. that we're building upon. And if you could mm-hmm. just touch a little bit on what we're what we're doing uh, out on a sure. real golf course, that, I, that'd be great. Yeah. So um, going back to the, the first uh, trial we did with you guys. Uh, that on that trial, we had a site that had a mixture of nematodes in it. We had sting nematodes, lance nematodes, root knot nematodes in there. And um, we had, uh, at the, in that trial, we had you Harold's know, uh, Root Health Program uh, with a nematicide program and without a nematicide program, and then untreated plots, and then the nematicide program without the root health program. And uh, in going through all that, uh, kind of like you know I was mentioning before, we saw that uh, because the indemnify and divinim controlled the sting and root knot pretty well, but the lance nematode numbers see it went up. But despite all that, uh, we did see that um, our our best treatment was that combination of the nematicides with the Harold's root program. If we did not control the nematodes, the Harold's root program really didn't accomplish much. Okay, uh, the nematicides accomplished some, but then we put those two together when we had our best uh, best combination. Okay, so uh, in the trial we're doing now, uh, we got on two golf courses. Uh, in this one, we're targeting sting nematode, and it's it's pretty much sting nematode's the problem. Okay, and so uh, uh, in the one trial, we got I mean a ton of sting nematodes in there. And I'll kind of talk about that one here real quick, but it's the same trial in both locations. But we have, in this case, we're using curfew because curfew uh, is our uh, far and away quick best knockdown treatment for sting nematodes. You put curfew and boom, it works like magic on, on that nematode. Yes, yeah, so we have, uh, this, and this, this one is, is a little bit more expanded from the previous one, and that is a split plot experiment. So we've got curfew treated and, un, and untreated. And then we have the Herald's root health program with the nematis with the nematicides we tested previously which were the included the heralds i mean uh, program and the uh, divinum and and indemnify treatments and then we also have uh, treatments that have some uh, stuff that heralds was having us experiment with yeah, two two of the um, things that were uh, the, as far as experimenting with uh, that are kind of uh, new things. Uh, one is a uh, a new nematicide that Corteva has been work, uh, developing, and I've been working with them on this nematicide for several years now, and uh, getting uh, you know, some good control of uh, different nematodes with it, especially uh, a sting and, and lance nematodes. It doesn't seem to be as effective on, on the root knot nematodes, but it is something I'm really excited about because it has some efficacy on Lance and also getting good control of stings. So that's in one of the, the two uh, trials we're doing with Harold's. We've got that uh, in the program. And then at the other golf course, we're testing a uh, biological crescendo. And uh, again, I've been working with uh, crescendo 
for several years, independent from from Harold's. This year, uh, in, not the Harold's side, but we actually combined two biologicals in, in the experiment we did. Uh, we find the crescendo with this Zelto, and uh, these two uh, products are both made by the same company, Marone Bio Innovative, and they're not live biologicals. What they do is they grow the bacteria in vats, and these bacteria exude these uh, chemicals there. And so, and then they, they, they then kill the bacteria and then formulate the chemicals produced by the bacteria. So these are both what they call killed microbial fermentation products. So it's not like it's not like a bug in a jug. This is the chemicals produced by the bugs. This trial we did this year, when we combined those two, tank mix those two together, we got really good control of, of root knot nematodes and the good in, in turf responses and root improvements. So uh, that's that's uh, uh, something that uh, I'll be looking at a lot more. But that's included in one of the heralds, just the the crescendo by itself in that trial. So that's kind of what we got going on there. Uh, we uh, first year uh, we had to kind of restart one of them. So the one trial we've had a, a complete full year of data on. In that trial, like I was mentioning, we saw dramatic responses from the curfew, and uh, like I said, you know, we got year-long benefit now uh, from the curfew. That doesn't mean that uh, it, the grass is perfect in those stripes, but at least you had grass on them versus the untreated ones, right? And so, but definitely, uh, you know, the curfew did a really good job on this on the sting nematodes there, which you'd expect. But then uh, we found that uh, in that trial is when we had our Harold's root program with and without this new nematicide from Corteva. Reclamel is the, the trademark for the active ingredient. Uh, if it comes on the market, it's not going to be marketed as that'll have a different you know, you know, name on the on the jug, but Reclamel is what we're calling the active ingredient for that one. It's easier to say than fluoroadenosolidine or whatever it is. So, <laughs> Reclamel is bad enough. So uh, it's interesting that because basically we found that when we had our, our our best treat combination throughout this whole thing is when we had curfew and then with the Harold's root program with the Reclamel. Okay, uh, now the Harold's root program without the Reclamel we didn't see didn't work as well. Okay, so again, just like we saw in our previous trial, if we didn't control our nematodes, you're kind of wasting a lot of money putting out all this other stuff. Okay, so it's important you control those nematodes. Uh, we, we found that when we in our non-curfewed stripes, that that treatment did uh, as good or better than the curfew did by itself. And so I'm really excited about that uh, that that research. But again, it goes back to. Uh, what I'm saying that if you know, you know, you got to kind of look at the whole whole picture here, you know, this idea of outgrowing the nematodes with a lot of these stimulants and stuff doesn't seem to work very well. But if you control your nematodes and then use a lot of these biostimulants and things, it seems to have a lot of uh, you know, then it gives you a lot of benefit because then you're able to actually to actually to grow roots without the nematodes eating them. Excellent, thank you. Yeah, that's all really good information. Just a Wrap up. I have one follow up question on part of our earlier discussion today talking about testing before problems actually arise. Is it a fair mm -hmm. recommendation for superintendents to should they test annually for nematodes, even if they're not historically a problem? Or what should trigger a superintendent to send a sample to their their state hematologist? Well, definitely, if uh, you know, if you got you know weak areas or the grass isn't 
doing what you think it's going to do or you see something, you want to get that as early as possible and not wait till the grass is dying, okay? Uh, sometimes some of the first things you'll see is weeds uh, because as the grass gets weak, then the, it gives the weeds a competitive advantage. You may see, see more weeds coming up and things. It, de- depending on your location, uh, if you were in Florida, I do believe you should be sampling annually because uh, things can change really quick. And both, uh, and I've seen this where you got a site that's where the nematodes are a huge problem, and then they all just kind of disappear. Okay, so just because they're a problem last year doesn't mean they're going to be a problem this year. Mm-hmm. And conversely, you know, the, there's always going to be a few of these nematodes out there, and just some conditions change or whatever, something becomes favorable, and the populations explode. Now, if you're, you know, in, in, you know, Pennsylvania, you probably don't need to sample every year, okay? Just uh, because, again, there you got a, sh- a lot shorter, you know, the further north you get, you have a shorter window of nematode activity. And so from the year to year change is a lot less. Whereas in Florida, you got these nematodes going all the time. So, and the, so the further south you get, the more important it is to sample more regularly. <clears throat> and uh, I would say, uh, again, for Bermuda grasses, I do recommend that you periodically sample with our new. Uh, method for the root knot nematodes it's just amazing how often you'll send a sample and it'll come back with you know one or two root knot nematodes or below threshold and then we'll take samples and put in our mist chamber and you'll find out you've got you know, 1200 per sample that is full up with these root knot nematodes and so uh, you you won't catch them in a, in a regular sample and now again based upon your history i don't know if it's necessarily you need you have to do that every every year but uh i do think periodically you need to take some of the you miss you know uh, plugs for missed samples uh to get a handle on those root knot nematodes which don't show up in the regular uh soil assays very much that's good information well yeah i appreciate appreciate all the information you shared so far and i just uh, have to ask you know i know you're always a guy that's working with things that are on the forefront and upcoming and maybe some things that you can't talk about but you've already mentioned Reclamel, you've talked about the Crescendo product, the Herald's Root Health Program. Is there anything else on the forefront coming down the pipe? Yeah, there there is. Uh, there's some new uh, uh, new AIs that we're working with that I can't talk about uh, that uh, you know are looking good. Uh, I've uh, you've been working with uh, Control Solutions, which are the uh, own the Quality Pro brand products, and trying to get a, a re-release of Nimitz, a new formulation. Uh, we've got a new formulation of that we tested last year, got good results with. And so uh, I don't know how close they are to coming back out with that. But uh, so, but hopefully, uh, you know, so we got some old stuff we think will hopefully will be coming back and then some uh, these new AIs. And the good, th- the good thing about this, some of these, like uh, the, the Reclamel specifically, it's in its whole new chemistry class because I do worry about resistance. Okay. And, uh, you know, we do have some locations that we uh, where this it seems that you know, like indemnify is not working like it used to used to. And uh, interestingly enough, uh, some of the you know we are testing some new SDHI chemistries. If we in those same locations where indemnify is not working well, that's also doesn't seem to be working very well. And so there could be some issues there. We don't know. We're still again looking at all this, but uh, but definitely uh, some good uh, products for. Uh, you know, rotating and uh, some new chemistry classes as well as some new chemistries and old chemistry classes and, and working on some new formulations as some older chemistries as well. And the biologicals. I mean, I'll tell you what, I, I can't talk about this, but 
there, there's this biological working with right now that you, you talk about making your eyes you know, pop. Okay. I mean, it's, uh, but I'll, I'll kind of leave that one. But uh, so hopefully, again, uh, we're making some progress with some of these biologicals as well as the chemistries. Wow, that's a cliffhanger right there. Jeez. No kidding. Yeah, three, yeah, yeah, yeah. Episode three here soon. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. Well, guys, any other questions, Paul, Raymond? No, thank you. Great information. Yeah, thanks, Dr. Crow. We can, we can certainly spend all day. I mean, nematodes are a fascinating subject that I know are top of mind for a lot of folks in the industry. So we really appreciate the insights. Thanks for your time today. All right, guys. I appreciate you inviting me. Good working with you guys. That wraps up our interview with Dr. Crow. A sincere thank you to Dr. Crow for his time. This show would not be possible without the willingness and cooperation of folks across the country willing to share their stories and information and knowledge with us. Turf News exists to communicate important research findings and turf management trends to turfgrass managers as part of Harold's effort to grow a better world. If you enjoy the show, we want your feedback. If you have a topic you'd like for us to address or a person you'd like to hear from, please send it to us at turfdudes@heralds.com. While you're at it, please subscribe to our show on iTunes, YouTube Music, or SoundCloud. We'll see you next time.